I ended up playing with everybody. It just opened up. I went from there to Nika Costa, and she and Prince were great friends. And so we ended up playing the O2 Arena. You know, it was just bonkers. Wow. That's a good setup because things were good. I played every TV show, Leno, Letterman, you know, the works. But I wasn't happy. Hello, this is Judy Rodman. You're listening to All Things Vocal Podcast. This is the audio version of the blog you can find at judyrodman.com. Hey guys, I love being with All Things Vocal Village and I'm so glad you're here with us. My guest today, Douglas Smith, was born and raised in Rochester, New York. He traveled the world as a member of the Voltage Brothers Band, which has continued to perform for 50 years. But Douglas was called into a completely different life, the ministry. In 2012, he opened the doors to Grace Community Ministries, whose purpose is to draw souls, cross multicultural lines, eliminate stigmas, and form positive faith-inspired relationships. He lives with his wife, Cindy, and their young children. So I can't wait to hear this story, and I hope you guys can either. Without further ado, welcome Douglas Smith to All Things Vocal. Glad to be here. Yay. <laughs> I'm going to call you Doug. Is that? Please call me Doug. Absolutely. Okay. Call me Doug. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. So first of all, let's mention how you and I know each other. <laughs> I mean, it's bizarre. Isn't it it? Is. Just for a brief shining moment, there was such a thing as MTM Records. And then we reconnected on LinkedIn. Yeah, you were over at MTM, weren't you? I was with MTM Records and um, Tommy West, with your mm -hmm. producer, when he was back in the old days of Life Song Records. Our group, the Voltage Brothers, had been on the label. Tommy always felt that more could have been done and things could have been done differently. I'm so glad he felt that way and uh, invited us to the new label, MTM, where you were the star, of course. <laughs> <laughs> a brief shining moment. It was kind of ill-fated. It only lasted three about three years. Yeah. years but uh, oh, what connections we, we made there. We made great connections. It was it was a strange place. It was a strange time. It was very strange. <laughs> uh, we, we grew up in Rochester, New York, moved to Atlanta, but we had never encountered Nashville and the scene and, you know, <laughs> being on Music Row and all that. And it was just, it was great. I learned a lot. Yeah, well, I tell you what, let's get into your truly amazing and actually courageous journey. Take me back to when you joined the Voltage Brothers. Joined the Voltage Brothers as a teenager. We were a teen band. In fact, we were playing in the nightclubs, which none of us were able to really get in because we we're too young. Uh, <laughs> that was a whole other story. And it, we had to <laughs> promise that we stay away from the bar, which we did not. And uh, But uh, <laughs> Jerry Griffin, he was our manager, but more than that, he was like dad to us and a mentor. He had just come out of the Marines uh, after doing a couple tours there. That's a good prerequisite for working with a teenage band, I <laughs> well, would think. Well, <laughs> we forced ourselves on him. We met him and then he was doing some volunteer work in one of the neighborhood, you know, organizations and just trying to keep kids off the street, that kind of thing. We we were part gang, part band, <laughs> and, you know, city kids. And he took us under his wing after after we begged him. And uh, we rehearsed a lot and we found a place. You know, we we came together. We we were blessed to have him to help channel and focus our uh gifts and talents. I don't think we played as well as we thought we did, <laughs> you know, 
<laughs> I think hubris must be a part of the beginning of a band. <laughs> but we had we had a lot of nerve and um, and we got better and became like the best band in the city, or so they said. And, and it was our heart to get on the road and and do something great. And he never told us that we couldn't do it. You know, he always encouraged us. The thing is, he never really wanted to be a manager per se. He was a mentor, and he says, "This is what you kids want to do. Then this is this is how to get there." Wow! And uh, we did it, and we worked hard, and we learned to respect work and respect each other. Eventually, to even respect that business. For the most part, it was mm-hmm. it was fun for us because we, <laughs> you know, we love playing music and entertaining. It took us a while to realize that it was rhythm and business as well. But uh, we got that, and you know, the rest was history. You know, speaking of history, oh my gosh, what a history you built. You opened for one of my favorite bands, besides you, of course, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oh, that was hilarious. It was great. Oh my gosh. Tell me about that. It, okay, so we get a call that Earth, Wind, and Fire is coming to town and they need an opening act. And it's us. And half the guys didn't believe it, you know. So uh, <laughs> I was at my girlfriend's house and they says, you got to get out. You got to come on. We, we're going to play with Earth, Wind, and Fire. And I go, yeah, whatever, guys. Yeah, nice trick. <laughs> I'm not leaving my girlfriend for you. You know, that kind of thing. So we get there, and sure enough, we're playing with Earth, Wind, and Fire. We had prepared for it. We were very well rehearsed. Um, the only thing was our set was just a little longer than the than what. <laughs> and so Jerry, Jerry stood by backstage where the power was because they were threatening to cut the power on us <laughs> and he stood next to see these are the real stories guys this is really what happened meanwhile the road manager and all those guys for the earth with fire they were just like they were fuming but it was the hometown crowd oh my goodness it was pandemonium out there and when we gave it all we had <laughs> <laughs> they never called us back. <laughs> we ne- There's another room we'll never play. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the first things you an opening act. You never go over time because <laughs> they have the but we power. We did know that we were the opening act and we couldn't have an encore, so <laughs> we took it. <laughs> there you go. You can't have an encore, so you might as well make hay yeah. while the sun shines. And you opened for Whisperer too. We opened for so many of the R and B acts that were, you know, that were famous at the time. And, and it's interesting, the Ohio players, we opened for them in a club in Rochester called Mr. Wonderful. And uh it wasn't so wonderful because we played their hit record. <laughs> we didn't know any better. We thought it was we thought we were paying tribute, you know? Okay, another rule, guys, don't play the hit record of the band that you're opening Please for. Don't. And, uh, <laughs> And so there's still the debate who played their hit record the best that night. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, uh, that's hilarious. Talk about the stages that you did play. Yeah, we we played all over the world. And uh, that was a blessing to learn music from the people who made music. I think that was the best education an artist can have is to hang with, with the legends. You know, the true legends were beautiful people to, to learn from, you know. Oh, yeah. Aren't they usually? I was playing... A sound check with Bobby Bland. Now, Bobby Bland never uses a keyboard player, but there was this B3 organ on stage and, uh, they're sound checking. And, you know, I knew the guys and I, I get on the organ and I play, <laughs> I play the organ and Bobby turns around, and looks and says, kids, you're really good. Now get off my stage. <laughs> but he did at least let us go through one song or two, you know? And so we had times like that. Yeah. Um, there were these people in your head that you know, 
I always want to meet. I always want to play with. And everywhere we went, we tried to make friends and, and just glean from them. Some of them were kind of intimidated because we were, we were crazy kids, you know. I don't know, Judy, you were good. You, you tolerated us. <laughs> Oh, no, are you kidding? Listen, I came from Memphis, and I, I was so happy to hear real soul music again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Are you kidding? Oh, it was a blessing for you guys to touch the ground of Nashville. And Wasn't that a weird time, though? I mean, a very weird time. And we were, um, you know, obviously, we were primarily an R&B band, but we got signed to a label in Nashville, and that opened up doors that probably would have never opened. Maybe we helped some some people coming along later. I think you did, yeah. I, I've heard some conversations. Yeah, Larry London and, you know, those guys. That I was sitting there just like, this is a drummer. And he'd come yeah. in, you know how he'd come in and do yeah. the session? And he'd go to the next session. His drums were set up all over town. Yeah, they were. So, I, you know, I learned a lot about the recording business in Nashville, you know, from all the greats that were around. After the record deal uh, with MTM, we did this record, which we thought was great. You know how that goes. You know, the artist always thinks it's great. And <laughs> the record company goes, I, I don't know. And uh, if you remember PJ, Paul Scott, we produced the Voltage Brothers album with, with Tom West. So doors started opening, but the band, you know, I don't know, it got a little different. We were a great live band. We were a good studio mm -hmm. band, but we were a great live band. And um, the guys wanted to go live and I wanted to do studio and... We were still living in the same place, but we were doing different things. So yeah. we put a studio in the basement, which actually MTM helped to put together because we, we didn't have any equipment, you know, and, and they'd give us stuff so that we could do better demos. And well, we ended up turning those demos mm -hmm. into records. <laughs> so Voltage Brothers went to Japan and they, they did that Asian market for a while. I stayed back. Paul and I stayed back. We'd started to uh, produce other artists mm -hmm. and it was, it was, Friendly. Everybody was okay with it because they knew it was time, yeah. you know. The artist I produced, um, along with PJ, a woman by the name of Millie Jackson. Oh, wow. We produced her daughter, Keisha, first. And Millie, <laughs> Millie was the star. So, you know what happens. I want to see what my daughter's up to. And, <laughs> and we end up doing record for her. So when we did her album, we did her album and we got closer and closer working together. And we did a play for her. So... Along with Millie, we, we produced this play that went all over the United States. It started in the B markets. We still have the record for sold out uh, shows at the Beacon, believe it or not, in New York. It was called wow. Young Man, Older Woman. I, I got to start it because I wrote it. And <laughs> I wrote my part in. And uh, wow. that just opened a whole nother door for us. So PJ and I continued to write together. And I went on to do P-Funk and play... Uh, with Van Hunt, a guy that was Neo Soul. That was a big thing from Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And Randy Jackson was his manager. And so we went out. Then I really played all over the world. Between Millie Jackson and Van Hunt, I ended up playing with everybody. It just opened up. I went from there to Nika Costa. And she and Prince were great friends. And so we ended up playing the O2 Arena. You know, it was just bonkers. Wow. That's a good setup because... Things were good. I played every TV show, Leno, Letterman, you know, the works. But I wasn't happy. And I thought I would be. You know, we were playing the Johnny Carson show. Johnny was gone. 
right? It was Jay Leno. Mm-hmm. Okay, all my life I wanted to play Johnny Carson, you know? As a little kid, they couldn't get me to go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> I got to play? With him? With Johnny? Oh, see? And so by the time I got there, it was it was Leno. He's a great guy. Don't get me wrong. I like Leno, mm-hmm. but he wasn't Johnny for me. I yeah. remember going to the bar and just giving all my swag away, you know, just... You know how the, the gifts they give you, and I just gave it all away. Give me another drink. I, I was classic. <laughs> I was a classic. <laughs> I mean, I was that guy. You know, it's kind of funny now, but it wasn't. It wasn't funny then. It was sad, and I, I kept working because that's what I knew how to do. I kept working. You know, I came back from Europe with the Prince show with Nika, and I had a pickup gig. You know those gigs you get just in case when you come home you need a little extra money. I booked it, you know, months and months ago. I almost forgot about it. It was called Fridley's Crab Shack. I'll never forget it. Fridley's Crab Shack. And it was just like the name in plot. You know, the woman with the mustache. (laughs) Where's my crabs? It was terrible. (laughs) And the band was a pickup band. And so, you know, I just got through playing with some of the greatest players in the world. Nobody was going to sound good. You know, and so I'm on stage and I'm playing and oh, I got off for a break and I'm like, Lord, why? And, you know, just shaking your fist in the air kind of thing. And I hear it in my heart. Well, I'll let you go around again, but it's not going to get any better. I have something for you to do. So you want to go around again? Now, this is the weird part. It was so real to me that I said, no. How loud? Huh? <laughs> in the club. And everybody turned around and said, what's wrong with this dude? Wow. And um, my friends, they had an intervention for me. And you would get a bunch of musicians to pay. We had Polynesian. And uh, they actually paid. And they all sat around and, are you okay? What are you doing? What's going on with you? Because I told them I I quit. I I got something else to do. And they they said, most people would kill to be where you are. Because I had really scraped. You know, I had scraped to be on that list, that call list where something cool was happening. They called me up, you know, and that was yeah. precious. That's precious to musicians and performers. And um, it was just time. I called Nika because Nika's like, well, you ready to go on the next tour? Right? You know, and I go, no, nah, I'm not going. I never said no. I was the guy that can't say no. I just <laughs> got can't say no. She says, wow. She says, what are you doing? I says, you know, hey, I found the Lord and I'm building a church. And she says, you're building a church? He said, well, you know, you can take your God with you. It's okay. And But I had fallen for that before. <laughs> so that didn't work. <laughs> yeah, it was time. It was that time for me to do this something else. You were really strongly convicted. I was given the message that this wasn't the river for you to continue to swim in. Although... It was for a while. It was where you were supposed to be to to learn what you learned. These things work together for my good, actually, because of what I've seen, what I've done, where I've been, and the people I've met. I have a toolbox that's amazing when it comes to getting these things done. And I have faith, you know. Yeah. It'd be hard to shake my faith. How do you keep yourself engaged and energized with some of the darkness that's going on? This particular episode of our podcast will play a little bit in the future because I'm kind of behind. But at this point in time, uh, we've got the Ukraine war, besides all the things that have been going on domestically. 
And yet I feel nothing but joy and positiveness from you. How do you, how do you, how do you keep yourself positive? Well, it's so funny you should ask because I was just talking to Paul and we were talking about how dark it is. And, but for one thing, I know I work the night shift. You know, I, I know that. <laughs> oh, I love that, Doug. Yeah, you, you know how crazy that shift. is in, in the night shift. ER workers that work the night shift, uh, security people, they all know, yeah. you know, immediately. Police officers work the night shift. I mean, they all know that even in the daytime, yeah. they work the night shift. And it affords us the, the opportunity to be a light. Okay, I, I, I don't want to get preachy here, but Jesus says, allow your light to shine. He says, let your light shine. Wait a minute. If you want to let some, that means you have it. You have a light, right? What a concept, yeah. You just got to let it shine. You got to allow it to shine. In the, yeah. You need light in a dark place. You really don't need light in a light place. I noticed that there's a lot of light shining around where there's already light. <laughs> you know? So yeah. I accept my, my portion. I accept my place. A lot of these people that are wandering in the dark are people I know and I can identify with. Right. There's a whole city of homeless people in Los Angeles. When I say a whole city, it's a whole city. It's it's amazing. It's one of those yeah. sites you don't want to see, but you should you should see. I've seen pictures. I'd leave Brentwood, park my car blocks and blocks away and walk to that place. And I felt more at home there than I did in Brentwood because I was I was hurting and I was dark, you know? And those felt like my people. So now that I've been wow. blessed to come out of that, I go back there in a different way now. I go back there as a flashlight, you know? Yeah. But we do. We have a light. And so the projects that we're working on now have to do with homelessness, have to do with feeding people. There's a project, you'll hear about it later, called Bring America Home. Bring America Home. And so yes. I've been working on these projects to infuse light in dark places. And uh, that brings me joy because I spent so much of my career, you know, it's part of the deal, thinking about me and me and me and enough about me. What do you think about me? You know, <laughs> so you know the, the business, you know, there are a lot of good people, but that business almost forces you to spend so much time working on you or, you know, trying to bring attention to yourself. It really is about self-worship. The more people I can get to worship me, the more my label yeah. is going to think of me as valuable. Fame is a really tricky place. But you know what, Doug, what I've come to believe in, you know, the long life that I've lived through all that too, is that it's not the money or the power or the fame that's the problem. It's what you do with it. It's the reason for it. Like the Book of Ruth, such a time as this, that you yes. have a platform, that you have connections. And if you don't, there'll never be enough money, power, or fame to fill the black hole that you are. Because it's a bottomless pit. Absolutely. That was one of the realizations that if I spend all my time trying to fill that hole, it'll take a lifetime and more and I still won't be full. Yeah. So what would you tell the artist that is looking, because that's the business part of it, you do have to yeah. become visible and people have to want what you got and all this kind of stuff. How would you help an artist that is headed for success really be successful and prosperous as a human being in life? Sometimes they're not called to right. the ministry, but they're still called to the ministry. Exactly. Yes. I think we all have a purpose. Well, for one thing, 
And this is what I found that really helped me, really blessed me. That my art, my gift is not the end all be all. It is a tool towards that purpose. Whatever purpose I have, it's a tool. It's a way. I got an arsenal. I can talk about my toolbox. I got this toolbox. And out of it may sometimes come my guitar. Out of it (laughs) may come a word or two. Out of it may come a vocal performance. But what am I here for? Why do I have all this stuff? And if I could separate, if I can separate me from the gift, you know, some people worship the gift I worship the gift giver. Yes. (laughs) The giver of the gift because the giver of the gift knows why I'm here. He knows why he gave them to me. And so I seek him. I said, what what do you want me to do with all this stuff, dad? You know? (laughs) And and so for me, sometimes he says, go plant that garden. (laughs) That's what I want you to do. And you said, well, gee, but that has nothing to do with playing the music. Yes, it does. You know, you plant the garden and you throw a party (laughs) and- Play some music and they all get, the, yeah. you know, he connects it in the way he does. Uh, I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to know everything. Yeah. He does. So for an artist to say, you know, I'm not a preacher. Doug is a preacher. But if you're not, I don't say jump into that. Just start by being kind. I tell you what, take one day and just be nice to people. <laughs> what a difference, right? What a difference. Yeah. So tell me now about the Mercy Club. So this comes from something Paul and I would do all the time. We're in Voltage Brothers. We're constantly on tour. So we had this four-track recorder. And in those days, things were bigger, you know. It was like a giant. Yeah, <laughs> we call it the day sleeper because we keep it in, the, <laughs> in the, the truck in the daytime. And at night, we bring it out. And it had the recorder and the mixer and all. And we, we started making bands up that weren't really bands. So we had a band for a while called Paris. It wasn't a band. It's just a place we really wanted to go. <laughs> you know, it's like right song, you know, around that premise. Well, uh-huh. this is a cool thing. I hadn't seen PJ in a decade or more, but we worked together every day because of technology. We can do it. And he's still connected with the, the Voltage Brothers, right? No, neither one of us. Oh, okay. PJ. We never, you know, we never went back. Yeah, you got to follow the story. <laughs> okay, let me follow the story. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. We're still family. We're still fun. We still call each other. We still check on each other. And we still love each other. And that's a blessing. Yeah, that's a long time too. But That's great. Mm-hmm. We spent some pretty intense times together. Yeah. So it's something you can't erase. And we had a um, Voltage Brothers reunion of sorts in Virginia. And I walked on that stage for the first time in, oh, I don't know maybe 15, 20 years, and we played together and we sounded just like the Voltage Brothers. <laughs> and so they had some new guys, you know, that took our places and stuff, and they kind of stood back and go, these guys sound like the Voltage Brothers. Because <laughs> it's just there. It's in us, you know. The, the love is there. You know the difference? Yeah. I used to watch Ashford and Simpson went on tour when we were kids. And one day they were having a fight, I guess, uh, you know, not a fist fight, but, you know, an argument differences of opinion and they moved around all day and they got to that stage and she got on the piano valerie got on the piano right and nick started to sing and i watched them fall in love because 
Now, Nick is going to be with the Lord now, but they had so much in common that transcends whatever they were going through. And and so that's kind of how it is with the Bolton brothers. If we ever get together, we laugh at some of the same old stuff. And if you put mm-hmm. uh, an instrument in front of us and a microphone, you better watch out. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's just teenage boys again. Yeah, we are. So to get back to our stories, Mercy Club came from an idea. And that idea was the story of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan was a person that they least expected to help because, you know, he wasn't really accepted. He was an outcast, really. And all the things he did for this person who had gotten beaten up on the road and and he he paid for his, his expenses, his medical stuff, he helped, he bound his wounds, he did all that. And I said, man, wouldn't it be neat if we had a club of people who would just be merciful? So wow. that's Mercy Club, right? <sighs> and so we start writing songs about it. And then one of the songs was Pray. Another one was called There's a Hero in All of Us. There was uh, them Just Say Yes. You know, when the world is saying no, just say yes. Yeah. You can record it over if you like. <laughs> and Lord, help us to love the ones you love the way you love. Oh, my gosh. It starts off that you see the ones that I don't see. Lord, you see the ones that I don't see What means the world to you Hasn't meant enough to me Lord, please forgive me For thinking only of myself When what you gave to me Should be a blessing to someone else Lord, if you don't teach me I won't know how to love Help me to love the ones you love, the way you love. Lord, help me. You know, I lived in Minneapolis, and Minneapolis is very Scandinavian. You know, it's very lots of beautiful, tall people with blonde hair. And I lived, <laughs> I lived in this really nice condo, but for two years, nobody spoke to me. <laughs> They, they literally looked through me. They they never spoke. And so one day, you know I'm crazy, Judy. So one day I was in the courtyard and there were a lot of them around, a lot of the other tenants. And I said, I do exist. <laughs> <laughs> Judy, it was so funny. And, and so they were like stunned. But every day, the rest of the time that I lived there, they spoke to me. Wow. Hi, Truth. My nickname is Truth. Hi, Truth. Hi, Mr. Smith. You know, like that. They spoke to me. And it was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's probably partly out of fear. You know, what will he do next? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we better speak. <laughs> but let's notice each other. You know, people walk by each other all the time. And, they, and if you yeah. ask for a description, they w- couldn't give it to you because they didn't see them. And so right. and my thought was, God, you see the ones I don't see. Yeah. And people you care about, I don't care about. Not nearly enough. Yeah. You know, so that's the repentance part. And so then the partition, help me, help me to love those people that sometimes I disregard. The last thing I want to do is get to heaven and stand before God or whatever, however that goes and see those people, you know, and they're, and they're close to him, but not to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that wouldn't be good. So, you know, that's what that was about. That's what Mercy Club's about. It's about raising our awareness of opportunities. In the chaos, there are opportunities. 
to be a blessing to someone. And it doesn't, it doesn't always involve reaching in your pocket and get money. Sometimes it's, like I said, just be nice, man. Just give a guy a, a smile, a kind word sometimes. The day I was, I was pumping gas, I don't know how it is down there, but in New York State, gas is crazy. Oh, yeah. It's getting that way. And there's this woman on the other side, on the other island, and she goes, gosh, this is the first time I put $50 in my gas tank. And I, I go, yeah, I know how it is, hon. Yeah, just keep smiling. It's going to be all right. You know, and that's all. You know, now, yeah. when is it going to be all right? I don't know. But, you know, there are two ways to go through the world. I can go through the world with a prune face. Or I can go through the world with a smile and let yeah. some of that light shine. Your songs are so strong, emotionally strong, because I think I don't get the preaching from it. I get the sharing. Mm, good, good. And I'll definitely leave links to some of those songs for you guys you. in All Things Focal. Yeah, you got it. Okay, well, Doug, I could talk to you all day. But no, <laughs> but no. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I do want to know what you got going on right now. Well, okay, so we got Mercy Club going. We're going to do a release soon, another release. We just thought, you know what? Let's forget about being famous. Let's forget about making money. Let's just put this music out in the world. And so we got another one. We got a song called Daddy Was Always There, which a different take. Mostly it's about Jerry, honestly, uh, for me, because I wrote the lyrics, so I know what I'm talking yeah. about. <laughs> so it's mostly about Jerry for me. But all the other unsung heroes, and you get a lot of conversation and publicity for the daddies that weren't there. I, I, I strive to be one of those fathers that are there now. I, in my career, I have a 20-year-old who's doing pretty cool in the music business, but I wasn't there for most of that. And I, I regret that, but I pray for him now and I try to be there for him now. And I've got little kids. Little ones. I do. Oh I have little goodness. ones. I have a six-year-old and a seven-year-old. Oh, my goodness. So this song is about that. Affirming <laughs> fatherhood. PJ, he has a, a concept called Fathers Are Essential. And so we're going to plug into all of that. We've got, of course, the homeless agenda and food for all. In my town, my church is on this plot of land where for a mile in either direction or more, there is no healthy food. Oh, my goodness. No, none. You can't go to like a Whole Foods or something. There's nothing. They call that a food desert. So we're planting gardens all over the area and making them accessible to anybody who wants them. And we got a bill on the floor. Honestly, it's so weird. Get this call from D.C. Or, and they say, we heard about you and blah, blah, blah. And we have this bill called Food for All. And I almost jumped out of my seat because it was exactly what we were doing. And it's called Food for All. So we're going to hitch our wagon to theirs. And uh, we're hoping wow. that something great comes out of it. I'm excited about the opportunity, again, that word opportunity, to be a blessing in a real way, not just that cerebral thing dance we do. <laughs> you know? Yeah, let's see you what got else. a lot going on. Yeah, two services on Sundays. Where's your church? In Rochester, right? Rochester, we have the city church, which is called Grace Community Fellowship. And then we have the rural church, which is another cool vibe in Newark, New York. And it's called Grace Community East. And so every Sunday, I'm at both places. And, oh, Judy, you like to worship music there. We'll get you to come and sing. 
one day. <laughs> oh, yeah, girl. Oh, I would love that. I'm trying to tell you. And they'd love you, too. They say, oh, no, they, they want to keep you. <laughs> Doug, remind me to play you sometime or send you a song that Thomas Kane, J.D. Martin, and I wrote in honor of Larry London called Passing By. I think you'd like that. Of course. Get it to me. Yeah. Can we record it over? Just check it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you can do anything you want to with it. Oh, oh my gosh. So listen, where can we find you and your music and your services? Well, okay, first of all, you can find the music. I think the music is, it crosses genres and it's not Christian music per se. You know, it's music. Love music. Yeah, it's love music. Oh, I like that. It's love music. <laughs> music designed to inspire. Now, look for Mercy Club on all the formats. We're on Spotify. We're on everything. You know, all the good stuff, Apple Music. And on YouTube, you get to see the videos. Yeah. And these videos, I've got to give it to Paul Scott, because Paul, he's got a gift. Mm -hmm. We just need budget. (laughs) (laughs) Somehow, I think you're going to get it. Yeah, I mean, it's funny how where you are called, the provision is made. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, we're looking for that. So you can find that on YouTube. And uh, the record label is Encore Records. and The website for the church. Our website is... GCMM is people, which is Grace Community Mission Ministries is people.com. Uh-huh. So that would be GCMM is people.com. And you'll see, you'll see hands, hands of different ethnicities and cultures. It's pretty obvious. Yeah. All nice hands joined together. And that's kind of how we are. Cool. Well, I will leave that link in the podcast notes. And guys, you have to check it out. And if you're in that area, for sure, check it out in person. If you are led, support them. Yes, we're 5013C and, mm-hmm. you know, all of that. Right. We're, we're perfectly legal. My wife, I got to tell you this, my, my wife is in law enforcement. Uh-huh. And when we got married, everyone was like, really? <laughs> Doug? <laughs> Does she really know you? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. This is the guy that wrote Loves the Criminal. <laughs> we work well because she, she works with juveniles. And so we try to catch them before they get to her. But if we don't, we catch them on the way out. So yeah, we're all about being a blessing to those young people. And um, this is my life now. So What a life. I can hear the joy in your voice. So you are definitely in the river that you need to be swimming in, it sounds like to me. I believe so. <laughs> I'm grateful. Listen, um, I caught some glimpses of what you guys are doing, and I think that's a wonderful thing. You know, I, I love young people. We have a coffee shop uh, thing we do called Grace Night once a month in Newark, and it's so cool. We primarily have young artists come in, just like in the old days, you know, with just a guitar. and Right. And it's been cool. We've been doing that for a little over a year, and I don't see stopping because these young people, once they get the fire, man, they don't, you know, they don't let it go. So we're we're happy that we are able to help in that way. Keep them on the road in the middle where they need to be. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. Uh, there's an old guy, this old pastor. Uh-huh. He said, "Doug, there are ditches on both sides of the road, <laughs> and our job is to keep them in the road." <laughs> So, yeah, absolutely. God bless you, honey. Take care and have a beautiful week. Yep, you too. Bye. Bye-bye. And that does it for this episode. I hope you've enjoyed hearing these stories from this extraordinary man's creative journey and that it inspires you to your own brave calling, whatever that is. 
Look for links to Doug Smith's websites and his Mercy Club YouTube channel in the podcast notes. This is your host, Judy Rodman. Join us for deeper discussions at the new Facebook group, which you'll find the link for in the podcast notes. And we'll see you next time for All Things Vocal, the podcast for voices with messages that matter.